ready? I'm ready. Say it again. I'm ready. Again. I am ready for another show. Sing it. Come, <laughs> Jamie. Are you ready for an episode? <laughs> Tell me, yeah, Jamie. Is, is that the... Are those the lyrics? Yeah. <laughs> that's the original, and then the cover is like something else. <laughs> that's not the definition of a cover. It's supposed to be the exact same with a like slightly different instruments or a different key, maybe. If you stray too far, it's a parody. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Can you cover a cover? Um, it depends if the cover is so famous that it usurps the original recording. Like Jeff Buckley's rendition of Hallelujah. Of Hallelujah. Wait, is that a cover of a cover? Yeah, it's a cover of uh, What's-His-Face, the famous poet. Leonard Cohen? Yeah, Leonard Nimoy. Leonard Cohen was a cover? Yeah, no, Lennon, <laughs> Leonard Cohen was the original source. So then it wasn't a cover of a cover. No. It was just one cover. No, but... Cover many, to the power of one. Many people, when they cover Leonard Cohen's Alleluia, they're actually covering Jeff Buckley's version of Leonard Let's Cohen. Let's just take a moment and sing Hallelujah. <laughs> no. It's such a good song. It is, yeah. I got obsessed with Jeff Buckley in uh, second year university. His whole, the, he has that one night. Jeff Buckley is okay. Tony. It's okay. I, I, it's hard to say which one I like the best. Are you sure you need a co-host on this podcast, Tony? I, I don't know if I can anymore. That's where you draw the line? Yeah, yeah. Jeff Buckley or Bust? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a great name and it works. Yeah, thank you. That's a reference to the coffin cold medicine. Oh, <laughs> that yeah, that was a great joke. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Tone is ready for an episode. Something, something. Damn it. No I was leaned into that. You had me oh, disappointed. Yeah. I was like ready for the next verse. Oh, shit. Sorry, dude. I, I'm not. We need to pre write these parodies. We can't just start singing like jackasses. That's true. I never rewrite my parodies. And <laughs> yeah. That is one of my fundamental flaws as a person. I would agree. If I had to critique you, it would be that you don't pre-write your parodies. Yeah. Although you did have that one, the one parody from several episodes back about your power chair in the rain. That was good. That was pretty for, for off the top, I have to say. Oh, yeah. That was brewing, brewing for the full 90 minutes previous, but thoroughly. Yeah, thoroughly it was enjoyable. like there was a loop in the back of my head thinking about it. Yeah, you did. You did have a thread dedicated to it. And yeah. it was, I think, I think you were singing it at our friend Kyle. So you yeah, were extra, yeah. extra motivated to be to be funny. Shout out to Kyle. What a great, Shout out to Kyle. What a yeah. Would you actually want to meet like Weird Al Yankovic or one of these people who's known for parodies? Would I want? Yeah, of course I'd want to meet him. Would I talk shop with him? No. (laughs) No? No. Really? You wouldn't play him your greatest hits from our podcast? I wouldn't be like, yo, have you ever heard who wants to pee where the people are? (laughs) I think he would want to hear that. Has he ever covered a Disney song? Maybe there's like some unspoken rule that you just don't go after Disney. I Yeah, I don't know. 
I would assume you can't go after Disney because you don't see many parodies of Disney properties to begin with, do you? No, it seems like a bit of a sacred institution. Yeah. For better or for worse. Are you ready for Pinocchio? Yes, I'm so ready. You are? I am. You know, this is the oldest movie we've ever talked about. It is the oldest movie we've ever talked about. What was the oldest uh, after Pinocchio? Rear Window. Oh, yeah, Rear Window. I love that movie. I don't think you did. I thought I think you thought that was boring. It was fine. Yeah, it was okay. You'd rather have it in the rear view when, wait, the rear view mirror? <laughs> it, honestly, it was as good as any window. <laughs> Is it better than the window to the soul? The, you know, no. <laughs> no? So you'd rather look into someone's eyes than into the rear window? Yes, absolutely. I mean, unless I'm trying to see if there's a car behind me. (laughs) Then I wouldn't be like, yo, look at me for a sec. All right. I'm glad I asked. Um, Is there anything of note going on in in your life? I've noticed. Can I make a critique of your immediate appearance? Yeah, sure, but I'll do the same for you. (laughs) Okay, good. I've noticed that you have sex hair, Tony. Moving on, so... (laughs) I have no notes about your appearance. No, nothing at all. Okay, no. that's good. Although I did just watch you apply lip balm. <laughs> and I'm pretty certain I've come to the very quick, I'm sure accurate conclusion that you enjoy the taste of it. Like it's my favorite snack. You kind of went to town. I'm pretty sure it's on the inside of your lips and maybe <laughs> on your gums right now. <laughs> I honestly was like, did he start doing chewing tobacco? No. Okay. So first of all, I have moody lighting in my garage. Okay. It's very high contrast. You're going to blame your lights right now? Yeah, I am. You think your lights are what's affecting me from seeing how deep into your mouth your finger is? Yes. Okay. Because, because think about it. Why would I put my fingers in my mouth (laughs) over, over a webcam? Like, I would at least have the courtesy to turn off the webcam before I, like, you know, cross the boundary of an orifice. <laughs> We've gotten fairly close <laughs> yeah, over the past true. couple of years. We have. And so it wouldn't really surprise me if you turned <laughs> your camera on with a finger in your mouth and maybe even no shirt on. Yeah. You know what, Tony? I've decided it's time for our friendship to progress. You shall see me apply lip balm. Okay, but here's my excuse. Are you ready? Yeah. I have a very prominent lower lip, okay? And it's it's kind of something I'm self-conscious about. It's Is it actually? Yeah, it's quite, it's kind of uh, disproportionately voluptuous. And so I've never it, noticed. In the winter, I do have to apply apply lots of uh lip balm. And and sometimes it looks like I'm putting my finger in my mouth. No, sometimes you're putting your finger in your mouth. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. The only time that's that ever makes sense to me is if you're watching me eat junk food, something with cheesy dust. I have a raspberry seed stuck in my tooth right now, and it's been driving me crazy. Yeah? You couldn't take one of your therapy toothpicks to get it out of there? I didn't realize it was there until after the attendant left, and so I'm just stuck with it. It's like on the top of my tooth, so every time I close my jaw... It's uh-huh. just 
sort of forcing my jaw a little bit off center. Can I ask you a sexy question? Sorry. Speaking of raspberry seeds, yeah. Yeah, I just, do you have full range of motion with your tongue? Yeah, it's one of the things I'm proud of. <laughs> yeah, eh? that's what you whisper tenderly into the your, your date's ear after the third date? I mean, if you see me working on my computer throughout the day with this mouthpiece, yeah. I feel like that could be an ad for my dating profile. It could be, yeah. It, like, it's quite the aphrodisiac, I have to... It, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've I've definitely done it in front of you on camera, and your next instinct is to start applying lip balm. <laughs> the funny thing about your uh, your face joystick mm-hmm. that you use is that I cannot read your face while you're like performing computer computer inputs. Yeah, I'm trying to because usually I'm talking to you. A lot of times I'm throwing jokes your way or whatever, just trying to get a feel for how you are before the podcast. And your face is completely unreadable when you're operating your computer. I've noticed that actually too. So I've started doing this where I raise my chair up a bit more. Oh yeah. So you can actually see more of my face. But then I'm conscious that I'm getting further from the microphone. Uh-huh. And so it's a bit of a balance. But like in work interviews or I actually had a meeting recently and the person I was talking to was a bit hard of hearing. So they generally relied on lip reading. Oh, no. Which was a disaster for me. Yeah. So I had to do this and raise my chair up so they could see me. And I've never seen that person again. I'm pretty sure they blacklisted me. Well, Google has a text-to-speech. I don't know if your speech would... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did use that. Yeah. But I think she was so used to, you know, reading lips rather than reading captions so it it raises an interesting dilemma it's like hierarchy of courtesy when two people with disabilities are interacting hierarchy of courtesy yeah i'm more disabled than you you're gonna have to deal with it is always (laughs) exactly yeah like how do you how do you my hands don't work read the captions Because in those small moments, like they are awkward because you're not quite sure how to navigate one another, but you're also experienced in being the person who is accommodated. So it's like, yeah, well, I mean, I work with people with disabilities all the time, but the dynamic is usually a different, it's usually a different relationship. Um, Now, nowadays, like I think people see it like the controller in front of my face. And it's just the elephant in the room that doesn't get addressed often. It does sort of look like an elephant nose. Yeah, a big black elephant. Yeah, and your face is on the end of it. In like sixth grade, my French teacher told me I had un petit nez, a small nose. Uh huh. And it stuck with me. Yeah. I've always been like, is that a good thing? Is it abnormally small? Or was she complimenting me? And then recently, I got a new mask that I sleep with, and it's a completely new mask. It's it it just got it's way easier. It just fits under my nose instead of like over my face. Can I ask a dumb question? What is the yeah. mask for? Is it for like your oxygen level when you're lying down? Yeah, it's basically because my lungs or like my diaphragm muscles are affected as a result of my disability. 
Uh-huh. The idea is when I'm sleeping, give the muscles a break and let the machine give you a boost with breathing so that you can be more restful while you sleep. So when you, because I'm assuming there are times when you do sleep without it, right? Like yeah. you, don't, you don't bring it with you when you go camping? And sometimes I do. It depends. Yeah. If, if we're camping and there's no hydro, then yeah. So if you're camping, which is a hilarious thing for you to be doing often. <laughs> um, Thank you. <laughs> um, do you, um, do you, does that sleep feel less restful? Like, does it really take a toll on you after a while? After a while, yeah. Like, it depends on different factors. It depends, like, how tired I am to begin with, how long I get to sleep for. But basically, it's like, if I sleep eight hours with the mask, that's probably equivalent to 10 or more hours without the mask. What if you sleep eight hours with a girl? Three years of my life. (laughs) Three years of good sleep? Yeah. Yeah, so you should put that on your dating profile, that it would... Uh... Looking to replace my mask. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Looking for a sleep aid. So um, can you sleep in multiple positions or just the one? Yeah, generally a sleep missionary. <laughs> yeah. But honestly, like, can you... Uh... I'm serious. I sleep on my back. Can you sleep on your side if you wanted to? If I slept on my side... I would just need to turn more often, probably. If I sleep on my back, I'm usually good like the whole night, eight hours. When I sleep on my back, I wake up uh, every 90 minutes with the sensation that I'm falling. Isn't that weird? When you're on your back? When I sleep on my back, I wake up with this, with a, a panicky sensation like, oh my God, I'm falling. But when you're on your side, you're fine. When I'm on my side or my stomach, I'm totally good. When I'm on my back, it's it's like... It's very annoying. Yeah, no kidding. That is very strange. That was one of the reasons why I despised my uh, my extensive surgeries is because I only had one sleeping option for several months. And so I never had a restful sleep the entire time, which was compounded by pain and other aspects of recovery. The same thing happened to me. I used to sleep. I would like rotate. I'd be... Right side one night, left side the next night, back one night, and just rotate through. Yeah. And generally, I could sleep through the whole night on in any position. And then after I had my back surgery, my left side became uncomfortable. And my right side was tolerable, but not great. And then my back was amazing. So I would just always want my back. And then eventually, I just went... Just lie on my back. Right. Just made it simple. Yeah, so now I just lie on my back every night. So you sleep missionary with a mask on. It basically looks like those nasal prongs that you get at the hospital when you're sick. Hey, Tony, um, so, somewhat unrelated, but do you think that Pinocchio is about imposter syndrome? I've been trying to figure out, on a superficial level, I was like, yeah, Pinocchio is a really movie. Of course, it's about a guy or a boy who wants to become a real boy. And I've often felt like I want to become a real boy. Uh-huh. You know, like I want someone to cut the strings that are holding me down so I can dance all day and not move around or whatever they say. I was thinking, though, like it would be fun 
to actually be like tied to strings. And then like the way you move yourself is to like remote operate the the string like limbs. Yeah. I used to have this fantasy that I was Spider-Man, but I would just use my webbing to pull <laughs> my limbs around. Yeah, yeah. I think you've given me that visual before. That would be fucking hilarious. Yeah. We should do that uh, disabled Spider-Man. <laughs> who should who 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 would play a good disabled Spider-Man? It's just like you like web to your face and then scratch your own nose. <laughs> yeah. It would be one of those things where it would be like a Mr. Bean episode where Rowan Atkinson, let's get him. Yeah, like young Rowan Atkinson as disabled Spider-Man. Yeah. People would already be mad at us because our first choice is a physical comedian and not a disabled physical comedian. Isn't that a little bit oxymoronic where a disabled physical comedian? Well, physical comedy, I don't think uh, somewhat paradoxically, like it, physical comedy is about physical performance, but it's also about staging and timing. Yeah, but that's that's also true of other forms of comedy. Yeah, of course. But you could be a disabled physical comedian in the sense that you are constantly, for example, I don't know, like crashing into things or running over people or causing... That's true some kind yeah. of disruption to the physical setting. You could be a physical comedian in just the way that you move your face, like with the way you contort your face in yeah. a, a funny or amusing way. I do try to do that. Yeah. I think, in fact, I've even seen you be a funny physical comedian before. Like you have on occasion when you're trying to like ream me out for being a jerk or something, you, you'll you lean your chair in to like give me the Kubrick stare. Yeah. You've done it. And and the and the movement of your chair and just the timing of it, like the slow creak and the very deliberateness of it, the fact that you know how to shape your face by using your chair, I think would make you a physical comedian. So I, I don't necessarily You no, you're totally right. Yeah, you don't have to be fucking Grace Kelly or I don't know, Ricky Martin or somebody somebody who's physically lucid why, why did i think of ricky martin what's wrong with i don't me? know <laughs> uh, i got my fourth booster this week <laughs> yeah, i think it's because i grew up with like rowan atkinson jim carrey like chris farley just mm-hmm. people who the fathers of physical comedy in terms of like the physical comedy that i'm thinking of where it's like your whole body's involved in I guess just very conventional ways. But you're absolutely right. Even special, I I remember really thinking that first scene where he gets hit by the car was hilarious. So yeah. th- those types of things, yeah, you're definitely right. Was that hilarious because of how it was staged or because of the novelty of the idea that somebody with cerebral palsy gets hit by a car? I think both, but yeah, mostly that. Just the fact that y- you're, you're expecting a wheelie show to have kid gloves on and to treat the wheelies with care and compassion. Yes. And then right away he gets hit by a car. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a visual extension of that ableist tendency to um, want to protect the disabled body. So when we do have scenes where like Sam Worthington is tossed out of a bar reckless, recklessly, and then his manual chair is tossed on top of him, or yeah. Ryan 
Ryan gets hit by a car or Daniel Day-Lewis and my left foot slowly slides down and like a winding set of stairs or I don't know, Stephen Hawking goes to pick up a pen for some stupid reason. Like, <laughs> Have you ever all- seen that video of the guy in a mall in a scooter trying to catch the elevator before the doors close and then the doors close right in front of him and there's able-bodied people in it and he gets mad at them so he backs his scooter up and then goes full speed into the doors and the doors kind of budge. And then he, for some reason, gets mad again, backs up again, drives forward at full speed through the doors and plummets to potentially his death. Like plummets basically down the elevator shaft. Yeah. I Could that necessarily be... Because I, I think that actually being disabled might actually train us toward this thought that we are somewhat invulnerable or that or that if something were to happen our chair were to start to flip over that like uh the world would intervene because i've had instances like for example where i've taken my shitty three-wheeled scooter onto a public bus in first or second year and i'm all eager to go to billings bridge and get alcohol and buy the latest video game in 2009 and i park the the three-wheeled scooter on a weird angle and i have a bus driver who takes corners recklessly and then my scooter flips and like that happened to me twice and both times i couldn't believe it was happening and like i'm not usually stupid so i like why 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 did i think it wouldn't happen and i also take for granted quite often that people are going to hold the door for me or that people are going to have some sort of deference or courtesy toward me because that's just the the kind of treatment that i'm used to is any of what i'm saying making sense to you or am i i think i know what you mean it's like i'm a bit of a adrenaline junkie too so sometimes i do things that i I know we're kind of pushing the envelope in terms of what is practical for my physical limitations. And I've put myself into pretty precarious situations, to say the least. And have, did you spend a lot of time thinking about what could happen? Or were you just excited to say that you did the thing without something going wrong? No, I have this this thing in me that like will replay a close call like that in a parallel universe where things go drastically bad and it gives me goosebumps and I kind of like rinse and snap out of it. It's a weird phenomenon. That's a thrilling experience? No, it's it's more of like a reminder to not be so stupid in the future. Can't you just take those risks inside of a video game or like, I don't know, eat some extra spicy food? It's not the same. It's not real. <laughs> So there is, so I, I, do you want to be like, is it about telling other people that you've done it? No, it's just about telling myself that I can do it. And when you have the impetus to go and drive your chair in weird ways, are you sad? <laughs> like right, right before the risky thing happens, are you like, oh, fuck it, I don't care. <laughs> you just drive toward the wall. No, it's usually the opposite. It's usually like, when I'm feeling good, I'm feeling invincible. Oh, okay. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I can drive one wheel up this curb and drive one wheel on the sidewalk. Okay. 
Could, couldn't you contact like James Cameron or I don't know, PT Anderson or one like the, the, the fight choreographer for John wick and be like, hi, uh, John wick guy. I'm, uh, Anthony, I'm a software developer and a very smart man, usually with, um, <laughs> I'm a very smart man. <laughs> yeah. And, it's like the beginning of for you. <laughs> yeah. I graduated from Carlton with very good grades. <laughs> it's all B's. Yeah. Yeah. B's and C's in like shitty business courses. Yeah. Um, so you're like, Hey, uh, John Wick director, I'm Anthony and I have spinal muscular atrophy, but I still have a penchant for stupid stunts. Is there some way I could be involved in your next film? Like, I don't know, maybe John Wick could shoot me in the face as I drive recklessly toward him in a last ditch effort to kill him after the upteenth assassin dies. And the person would probably be like, you know what? We've been itching to cross uh, a diversity checkbox off of the production list. Let's fucking have Anthony on the movie. You know, that would be amazing. Yeah. I would, I've always thought how fun it would be to be in like an obstacle course or if they could give you some, yeah, like some kind of wheelchair obstacle race. Anything else going on in your life? Is there a reason your hair is so sexy right now? Are they not showering you again? I think it looks good to be honest. I think you look like uh, Robert Pattinson in that new Batman trailer after uh, Riddler's burned the mask off his face. Tell me you didn't see that video and get really excited. I'm trying to do this new thing where I don't care about comic book content. No, you're not. I am, Tony. I'm trying to purge. Starting what, tomorrow? I No, I, I haven't seen any of the more recent Spider-Mans. I didn't That's see the... That's theaters are closed. <laughs> Fuck you, Tony. Why can't it be about my personal intestinal fortitude? It's not, though. I'm going to out you right now. Yesterday, <laughs> you were hanging out. Yeah. And you went, when is Spider-Man going to be available? I want to watch it. <laughs> it's true. I want to see Toby Maguire. Okay? I want to go back to 2002 and be in my happy place. You I did just, see it. It was fantastic. You just thwarted my whole fucking anecdote. Yeah, don't even try. <laughs> now I can't even pretend to be a grown-up. That's outrageous. Here I am after watching Pinocchio, trying to overcome my imposter syndrome, and you're just you're just swatting me back down, you know? Let's talk about how you think Pinocchio might be about imposter syndrome. Because I'm not really sure what it's about. Okay, well, broader strokes, Pinocchio is a film about a toy maker in a small village who uh, has mastered his craft. He's an elderly old man. He lives in his shop amongst his toys and clocks uh, with his cat and his goldfish. And music boxes. Yeah. Which reminded me of my parents. My mom collects music boxes, which is something I've forgotten about until this movie. Do they all go off at noon in a chorus of insanity? No, not cuckoo clocks. Music boxes you have to like manually turn on. Okay. But we also did have a cuckoo clock. Did you figure out how to turn on one of the music boxes via Bluetooth? No, they were so old. But she had like dozens and dozens of them. That's interesting. 
I wonder if anybody would be interested in that. My mom does um, stained glass work. And frequently, because I'm a huge dork who uh, is not an adult, I ask her to... um, Make a Spider-Man one? (laughs) Actually, um, a pixelated version of the of the sprite for super mario and super mario 3 that would be kind of cool <laughs> it would go well with your arcade yeah king tony stop rolling your eyes and looking in other directions <laughs> and so anyway yeah so she's made a bunch of really cool glass and so so in my old age i would not scoff at all of those things no yeah in my old age i like anyone who is passionate about anything exactly and they and they get into the nitty gritty of it, and they're not afraid to create, and they're not afraid of their uh, of being inexperienced. I've been watching a lot of videos recently where it's like some expert in some industry explains some topic to five different people in five different age ranges and tries to explain the topic in a complexity that will make sense to them. Uh-huh. And it's really fascinating how deep you can get into any one little topic. For sure. And I love it. I love someone just getting really, really good at stained glass or woodworking or origami or totem pole carving. You know, it's fascinating that you can be so passionate about something. I've always thought that about documentaries because I find it to be such an interesting genre. Like most documentaries have a very similar form in the nature of their storytelling, but they quite often are able to focus on one subject using the cinematic medium to a level of granularity that makes the person, makes the audience super invested in the topic. Like there are documentaries about fucking, I don't know, NASCAR racing and classical painters and skateboarding and uh yeah. like opiate addiction all all these things that wouldn't necessarily grab you if you were just presented with the wikipedia page but the form yeah the form grabs a hold of you and that's really cool that that we can do that that we have the power to be empathetic for other people's passions if you we're going to have a documentary made about your life. What would it be about? Oh my God, that's a really tough question. Can I ask you to answer that first? No. Why? That's not how this works. I've been talking enough already. Have you? Okay. So if I had a documentary made about me, what would it be about? Yeah. How would you pull people in to get them really engaged? Would you start with your disability? Would you start with one of your passions? Would you just start at the beginning chronologically? I think it would It would have to be a documentary about something I'm passionate about. And then there would be a part of it devoted to how disability shapes that passion. So whether it's like, I don't know, software development or writing code or waxing poetic about my favorite TV shows... There would be like a little segment about how disability has bolstered that interest, but it wouldn't be about disability per se, because I'm very tired of the traditional story arc of a disabled character. Do you think that your disability has shaped those different things to the same extent? I think disability sort of like fosters like a like an immunity to certain kinds of 
isolation and loneliness. And I know that sounds kind of depressing, but I don't I don't mean it to be like it's sort of in some ways it makes you you do have to deal with ableism and and um stairs stairs and imposter syndrome. You constantly wonder if you're qualified for the thing that you're doing because the only other the only other people you witness solving those problems or attempting those tasks are able-bodied and you you know that you've constantly been accommodated through your whole life. Anyway, I've gone off topic. I think disability empowers you to be uniquely prepared for a certain variety of loneliness. You said you said your disability has shaped your work life, like your software development, and also your passion for, or at least shaped the lens from which you view movies through. Do you think that it's an equal but different effect on both? Or do you think your disability has greater shaped one of those two things? I don't know. Like, I think disability motivates people to escape into their passions uh, maybe a little bit more deeply than the average person. Um, and also to find an identity from those passions. Because you can't just be a person. You have to be a disabled person who's exceptionally good at writing code or exceptionally good at <laughs> parsing the strongest design elements of their favorite video games or, I don't know, understanding the cultural significance of a film. What do you mean by it has to be? Like, do you feel some intrinsic need to do that because you're disabled? Kind of, yeah. Because uh, it's never just good enough to be a disabled person. You got to be that disabled person who's overcompensated in a notable way. I think I've talked about this before. One of my favorite jokes from Chris Rock ever is that he uh, is that he lives in a very wealthy neighborhood in Los Angeles. And he lives adjacent to several other prominent black entertainers. And the white guy who's right beside him is a dentist. That's the funniest thing to me in the fucking world. It's so, so fucking funny. Because it's like you, as a black person, you have to really make it to live in this community. But as a white privileged man, you just have to be born. Yeah, there's no such thing as an average... If if there's a disabled person like with any amount of visibility, they are they are above average immediately. I don't want to. I struggle to talk about this because it's going to sound suddenly like I'm very meritocratic or my ableism is going to come out. But um, you can take out your ableism. That's okay. I can just whip it out and show it to the world. I I consent. Yeah, in all its dark and smelly glory. Yeah, I don't know. Like to be a. To be a disabled person out in the real world, like with any amount of visibility, to partake in in the job market, to to live is like you're you've you've already worked harder than most highly successful people. That's just annoying. Like I can't be I can't be a person without a care in the world, and I can't be just your average person. Like I I have to be exceptional. I totally agree. I actually read something recently about the business case for hiring people with disabilities. And one of the points was there will probably be 
harder workers than your able-bodied counterparts because they're less likely to take the work for granted. Yeah, but in my older age, like since I've gotten away from from Carlton and that whole period of my life where I was chronically overworked because I was afraid of failing, which was never something that would realistically happen, but it was always something that was looming over me. Like ever since I've gotten away from that and into the workforce and I've seen the kind of apathy that infects a lot of those environments, I have tried not to be the person who overcompensates. And I wouldn't even say that I'm, again, like by an able-bodied standard, I'm not gifted in my field at all. Like I'm like... You're probably lying, I'm sure. No, I'm not lying. I'm really not lying. I might be a little bit... You have really good grades. I do, but that doesn't really mean anything. Like, I've tried to get away from that. Like, I've tried to just be like, no, I'm not overcompensating. I'm old and I'm sore and I'm really fucking tired of, like, bending the knee to people and, like, being nice. Like, if I don't like someone or I don't, I'm not particularly motivated, I'm not going to feign kindness and I'm not going to feign motivation. I'm just going to be... Authentic. Well, authentic, whatever, whatever you want to call it. I'm just going to be whatever the fuck I am. And I don't really care. I don't really care what other things are coming at me trying to tell me to be different. Like, I think that that's a great thing to strive for. So many people, especially people with disabilities, I struggle with this too, where you you feel somewhat beholden to those around you. Like, I face that a lot with attendance where I can just, you know, there's a bit of a, energy difference or you just don't click in the way you want to whether it's a personality thing or whether it's an age thing or a culture thing or sometimes even just the way that they approach my care isn't the way that I really want my care to be approached and it isn't necessarily differences that I can just train or ask them to do differently it's just like a care philosophy kind of idea. But then the thing that really triggers me when you talk about these kinds of things is that um, you're not really ever allowed to have the same amount of entitlement as your able-bodied counterpart would have in a similar situation. Right. And I think that that's like what I'm getting at is because there is a part of me that is just unavoidably indebted to them because I need whatever it is that they're giving me in order to function for the rest of the day. So I feel this compulsion to placate or to be a little bit inauthentic sometimes. It does feel a little bit like customer service sometimes where you're making a small talk because it's the right thing to do. You're just like kind of getting through it. And I'm sure attendants feel the same way sometimes where it's like they don't care about my life or my work or if I have siblings or whatever, but it seems like an appropriate, almost necessary question to break the tension of the client attending dynamic. But I want them to appreciate that in your work life, you you do things and you you have accomplishments and skill sets that they do not have and that that would not be easy for them to undertake in your position and with your limitations. And in respecting that, understand you're not a 
a second class citizen who's simply a drain on a bucket of resources. Yeah. You're as hard working and as impositioned by the nature of being as they are. And so they shouldn't talk to you like you're a child when they tell you that they can't wash the sex out of your hair. <laughs> like, that's what fucking drives me up the fucking wall. Like, I don't want you to to dominate or subjugate them and treat them like help. But I do. I'm so tired of feeling like a child for asking yeah. for fundamental needs. You know, like things that I don't think are that crazy especially nowadays you can't there's not much we can do with ourselves so those things that we need that we can ask for like realistically we should receive so long as we reciprocate this is one of those things i think that it's it's almost just like common knowledge or common sense for people in similar experiences to ours but it feels really hard to explain it to the wider community without sounding entitled or victimized or something. Because it, it is like a very, I can cite specific examples of exactly what you're talking about, where the way someone treats you in these care settings, for example, it's really easy to just just be like, I'm, I'm, I'm a real boy. Yeah. Like, you just want to shout that out, like, so many times. Yeah. It's almost embarrassing to say these things out loud sometimes, because they're very, like, like deep in the bowels of my sad diary. No, I feel that, too. This, this episode, we've gone into those bowels, and I think it's important, <laughs> you know, that I have a tendency to keep things light, bordering on childish. Yeah. And debaucherous. But yeah. these these are like really important things to talk about. I feel the exact same way in the online dating world where I have to like, again, I don't have to, but I feel this need that consumes me where I, I feel like I need to overcompensate for my lack of abilities to go mountain climbing by being extra empathetic or funny or compassionate. Yeah. When it, when it feels like trying is when it gets exhausting because depending on the person, it doesn't feel like trying, you know? Well, you want to give them that side of you. But there is part of it where, you know, I like being funny, but I also feel like I need to be funny or I need to, like, make certain types of jokes to compensate for my insecurities. Well, that's the other thing is like, like I've thought about this before. You can't be a disabled person with an active social life and have like a mediocre sense of humor or like feel compulsively compelled to make jokes all of the fucking time. And it's like, you, you can't be boring. Like I can't be as a disabled guy. Like I can't just be someone who watches Big Bang Theory at 7 p.m. after work. I had, I can't do that. You can't? No. But you feel like you wouldn't have any friends? Yeah. If, and that's if a I, direct reflection on Sheldon Cooper? Yeah. Or, you know, if Paul Blart, if that were my favorite film series. Which it is. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. It's so like. Yeah, no, it, it's like this, this thing that you, you feel like 
if you are, which I honestly think were wrong, but you feel like you have certain milestones or like personality criteria that you need to check off in order for people to be like, well, he's disabled, but he's got these great things going on. So we'll still hang out with him. Yeah. Or we'll still hire him for that job. Yeah. Or we'll still date him. They, yeah. Like you can't be like a fucking disabled deadbeat. Exactly. Like, you know, just the guy that sits around and drinks beer and entertains the boys. You you can't, you, you can't be that. I have found, especially in my industry and, and in my field, my disability and the experiences that come from that are really starting to be, be an asset in a lot of ways, which is really fun. How, how do you mean? Like when I'm, when I'm doing like accessibility testing or UX type stuff, for example. That's usually on the roadmap for a lot of software nowadays. And it's getting pushed further and further to the beginning of the roadmap, which means it's more and more important, which means my experiences are more and more valuable. And so that's great because my career prospects are definitely looking up as a result of my disability. I've noticed in the in the video game world, and this will be brief, uh, that um, <laughs> there are a number of like really successful independent YouTubers that will actually devote a section of their reviews for new games to the accessibility elements of the game. Yeah. And that there have been like almost all of the major AAA successful titles of the past three years have been notable for their accessibility. Like to the point where it has made people like remap the controls or reconfigure like user interface elements, yeah. like like non-disabled people to, to fiddle with those things and to find better ways of interacting with the, the software. The second Last of Us basically forged a whole new set of rules that games are going to have to follow mm-hmm. just because they had some groundbreaking number of like 40 or more accessibility settings. Like customizable settings, yeah. yeah. It, it'll get to the point where they bake those features right into the game engines. So yeah, l- like developers won't even have to think about them. Exactly. And so from a career standpoint, it's good for us. You can market yourself now in the the professional world as disabled and have that be an asset rather than a thing people have to explain away. But in the dating world, mostly, and then a little bit in the platonic relationship world, you, you do still come with an asterisk. And I feel like the asterisk being... Um, yeah, so I'm dating this new guy. Um, he does have a disability. He's in a wheelchair, but he's hilarious and really good at video games and loves the Sopranos. And he does a really good Tony Soprano impression. Imagine that that was the only plus. <laughs> but you should hear the Soprano impression. Let me let me show you this Tony thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, like. There still is this sort of asterisk, right? Yeah. And I mean, I hope society and social convention will follow suit with the corporate world 
and it will soon be, he's disabled. You're like, oh, lucky you. You got a disabled guy? Those disabled people are so hard to find. I'm trying to think. Maybe we'll cut this out of the podcast. But like for the LGBTQ community, what were the precursors to like gay folks showing up in a majority of entertainment without it being super notable? That's a great question. So like Frasier is kind of like the advent of like feminine, like exploring like the feminine of male main character. Then you have like Will and Grace where the two men of the show are outright gay. And then you have uh, Six Feet Under, which is the first prestige TV show with a gay character in its main cast. Who regularly- But do you think that is following... Sorry, I cut you off, but we, if I didn't, you would be listing shows for the next three Friend, hours. That's so true. It's true. And <laughs> I, you probably never actually get to the point. And I don't even know if we've gotten to a point where like gay people in popular media is fully destigmatized. Well, I don't think it ever will be because you'll never be able to represent every experience on screen. Whether, yeah. Whatever group you identify as part of yeah you'll never be able to cover the full range of experiences for everyone but do you think media follows society in that we're like oh the world is ready for gay representation let's make will and grace or do you think someone takes a risk makes will and grace it gets popular and then society's like oh will and grace is a good show i guess i appreciate the LGBTQ community a bit better or something. Or I guess I'm not afraid. Yeah. So with disability, do we just have to wait until more media comes out? I don't know. It's an unanswerable question. I think you basically you basically have to get to the point where like a, a disabled character can play a role that would be traditionally played by Adam Sandler. Yeah, you've said that before and I really like that. Well, let me just say, Paul Blart, rides a Segway. And yeah. that is basically a wheelchair. Yeah, but Walmart disabled is not real disabled. Excuse me? Walmart disabled is like self-harm mutated into disability. What is Walmart disabled first? Like yeah, I mean like you eat to the point where you need where you consider it a good idea to use a scooter at Walmart. And you're saying that Paul Blart is Walmart disabled? Uh, Paul Blart is Paul Mart disabled. The fact that it rhymes doesn't mean it makes sense. <laughs> Again, I don't want it like, cause now we're into body shaming territory. Again, can I go back to why I think that someone making it in popular culture isn't playing Adam Sandler role? Yes. Well, Adam Sandler is most of his characters have, this like hyper, like this deep, like deeply angry and like hyper childish. Um, I, I don't know. It's like this uh, temperamental baby that at the core of him and the world is like asking him to uh, rise to the occasion of being an adult and he refuses to do so. And the audience is meant to like sort of enjoy the fact that he refuses to adhere to social expectation and continues to scream and uh at people and commit acts of violence and yet be very good at golf and still get the girl so it's like uh if a disabled character can be unlikable from every 
angle, but the movie still wants us to consider them a hero. It kind of feels like we've, I don't know, man. It's so, maybe I'm completely wrong, but I feel like there's an idea here. Okay, but oh, here's the thing. I, I hate Adam Sandler. Okay, true. Let's not throw away those four-letter words so easily. I like Uncut Gems and Punch Drunk Love, but I generally do not like Adam Sandler. And I know that's a very, like, Roger Ebert perspective to take in 2022. But I'm just saying, if I can hate a disabled character for reasons completely independent of their disability, then we've made it. Okay, well, first of all, I don't hate Adam Sandler. Um, I actually kind of, I, I watched a couple of his movies this weekend. I respect his hustle quite a bit in that he, like, just has fun. He's kind of cracked the code. He makes a bunch of fun movies. He, you can tell he's just having a good time, and it's working for him. He doesn't have to market his movies, and he no, still... he doesn't have to even make the movie. He just puts on a Hawaiian shirt and walks onto a movie set. Yeah, good for him. And he fucking farts, and then he punches an old person in the face. He's living the dream. And then he tickles Kevin Smith's belly, and then... <laughs> And then he falls down, and that's the movie. And we're all like, oh, David Spade is still alive. That's interesting. And, oh, look, look at the woman he thinks that he's worthy of. Oh, this is a great movie. He thinks that he's worthy of. Anyway, all that said, I think what you're saying, still, I still agree with. He does have a way of making his characters so relatable and unrelatable at the same time. So, like, if you made a disabled character, I think it would be acceptable for the audience to feel the full range of emotion towards this character at the same time and still be rooting for them, which is exactly what we need and what we've always said we want for the disabled community, or at least for ourselves, in that when I'm doing something wrong, tell me when I'm bad at something, tell me when I'm good at something, also tell me, but like, just treat me as a person in spite of my disability. And don't like, try to think, but he's disabled. Like, just get rid of that asterisk. And I think that's something that an Adam Sandler kind of rule would be able to do. Because he just, he has this way of making his character so unbelievable that you just sort of think about them as a person again. And again, I'm biased because I just watched Spanglish and Billy Madison over the weekend, and they're both fun movies. That said, what would you think is the disabled equivalent to this feeling right here? What would have to happen in your life for you to be that joyous from a disability perspective? Maybe it was the first time I drove a scooter at Carleton, went to class without a student support person. Oh, that's a great one. The first time I went to a bar and came home without the intervention of friends or um, my parents. Yeah, that's it for me. When I first moved to Ottawa and I was able to have a full day without my parents helping me. Yeah. I went, I got up, I went to class, 
I hung out with friends. I went out. I went to bed. And my parents didn't even know where I was. When I was, uh, when I went to school, when I went to high school, there was no such thing as me missing the bus because I had to take uh, Lacey's taxi to school. And there was a set of school runs for all the disabled kids and the kids in Avenue 1. So if you missed your cab and you didn't call in advance, were you sick? You'd be disrupting the the schedules of a number of people along the way. And 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 the cab that you have on a daily basis, the driver, he knows you personally and talks to you every day. He'll be very, very upset with you. Yeah. So there was like extra pressure not to ever skip school. So I remember going to Carlton and realizing for the first time that instead of going to class, I could just wander off and get drunk. And yeah. I did that a lot in first year. Yeah. This movie, Pinocchio, I didn't realize how old it was, first of all, because I watched it a bunch of times as a kid. And it hit me in this, I don't know if it was a precocious thing or even if it was like a conscious parallel that I was drawing. But I realized that I've often pined for feeling like a real boy. Yeah. In the context of this movie, it hits harder than it should. And especially for us. Yeah. So let's set the scene a bit. I know you kind of already did. But an angel comes or a fairy comes at one point and and uses her fairy magic. I can move. I can walk! Yes, Pinocchio. I've given you life. Why? Because tonight, Geppetto wished for a real boy. Am I a real boy? No, Pinocchio. To make Geppetto's wish come true will be entirely up to you. Up to me? Prove yourself brave, truthful, and unselfish, and someday you will be a real boy. A real boy! That won't be easy. You must learn to choose between right and wrong. Right and wrong? Well, how will I know? Probably no. Your conscience will tell you. What are conscience? What are conscience? So that's um, also famous character, Jiminy the Hobo Cricket, who in this movie is literally starts out dressed up as a bum and he like crashes Geppetto's studio yeah there's this weird sense of the world being how do i put this maybe i should start over we should also say came out during the second world war Uh, yeah so there's this sense that jiminy is this sort of drifter yeah and that he comes upon geppetto's toy shop looking for shelter and that he's been beleaguered by the surrounding events of the world and uh um, there's a darkness about this movie from the very, very opening, dark. from the very opening scene. Like the loneliness of Geppetto is palpable. The relief he feels at seeing Pinocchio animated is like really sad right off the bat. Um, yeah, way darker than I remember. Yeah, one thing that I thought w- like would be funny is like Pinocchio is the only conscious creature that like wakes up conscious and and then has to prove that he is of the species that he belongs to wait what do you mean like he's like the fairy godmother makes him conscious but then he has to prove that he's human 
And for all intents and purposes, he is human. His body is synthetic, but he's a person in any other in every other way. He's a real boy. Yeah, he has thoughts and feelings. His his body moves the way that humans human bodies do. Shout out to Geppetto. The only difference is that he's not of the flesh or whatever, which I suppose makes him more vulnerable to certain elements. And this is exactly what we were just talking about, where it's like you feel like you are some other version of the thing you're walking around with every day. You look out and you're like, I know we're the same species as the person rock climbing and doing gymnastics and getting stuff off the grocery store shelf by themselves. Yeah, we have the same the same needs. Yeah, we have the same needs, same desires. Physiological cues. Our bodies crave movement and exercise and Love. dopamine and all the all the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah. Same needs. But we still we, we have to like prove and not just one time, but over and over again prove we're the same. Yeah. So I thought it would be funny. The funny thing is, is that like if we were born and the fairy godmother came to our parents and they said the same thing to us. Like when we were born, she's like, all right, Jamie, I, I animated you. I give you a conscience, but you have to prove that you're honest, brave and unselfish. And it's like the only reason we're still disabled is because we're a couple of lying cowards, <laughs> a couple of selfish lying cowards. Like this whole time, all yeah. we had to do is be nice people. Yeah. And be walking around. <laughs> yeah, like the very first instance in which you were completely forthright about what you want from your attendant, that, and you gave her a, I don't know, a chocolate from your fridge, and you yeah. were brave, and you were brave about the intricacies of your shower. Like you just become uh, ambulatory Tony. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, that is kind of why I started not really believing in the Christian faith that I was brought up on. Because <laughs> a lot of their thing is like, this is all for a reason. Like God has a plan and like nothing is an accident. And I'm like, so you're saying I deserve this? <laughs> exactly. You're saying this is on purpose? <laughs> you're saying the almighty, all loving God was like, check this out. <laughs> This is some of my best work here. It's not obvious, but uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. you have to look a little harder, but uh, it's a real Pinocchio, trust me. And so I, I know a lot of people do use religion to help themselves cope because it's easier to believe that there's something beyond you that is making you, giving you this purpose, right? Yeah, or providing easy answers for fundamental questions. Yeah, and I don't want to take anything away from that because I think there is some value in in it, but it, it just it, it didn't really resonate with me. So I was like, well, it doesn't feel something a fairy would do. So Tony, the most remarkable thing about this movie for me was, first of all, how much my like assumption or mental model of the movie from childhood differed from what it actually was. Same. And I... I know we wrote it down on our list of movies because we just assumed that it was a wheelie movie from its premise alone and from our images of Pinocchio. And yeah, I don't know, for some reason I had this idea that he was, 
that he was actually on strings for more than the first three minutes of the movie. Me too, yeah. And he like always wanted to not be on strings. Yeah, I thought I thought the movie was a lot more about him shedding his strings. I also thought that it was his wish to not be on strings. Yeah. Not his not Geppetto's wish. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Would would Pinocchio want to be a real boy if that was not Geppetto's wish? Or if your parents had a fairy godmother, would yeah. they use it to make you not disabled? What does that mean? Like use it like the genie from Aladdin? Yeah, like I don't know if my parents would be like, all I want is for Anthony to be a real boy. Well, what would they say? My my dad would be like, I just want to find out for sure what happened with the pyramids. <laughs> my dad would be like, well, you know, uh, Miss Fairy Godmother, I would like a space for my trains because... Uh, uh, Mrs. Mendick is slightly incapable of providing me with one. And, uh, well, Mr. Mendick, I can offer you a space for trains, but you can only get it when you prove to me that they're real trains. <laughs> what? <laughs> First of all, that's your elephant man voice. Hi. <laughs> I'm not a Pinocchio. I am not a fairy godmother. <laughs> I am a human being. I can't even do it. Well, okay, so we, I guess we sort of realized very quickly that this movie's not really about disability. Okay, but let's make it about disability. Should we? Yeah, so how is it about disability? Is it a really movie because... He feels, he being, I guess, Geppetto, feels that his boy... That's a good question. Why the fuck isn't Pinocchio enough, Geppetto, you piece of shit? <laughs> yeah. Is he not enough? And yeah. so you, you feel like he's ostensibly disabled. Uh-huh. And the only way you'll get true love from him is if he's an able-bodied person. Yeah. And by the way, Geppetto, you fucking made... Uh, Pinocchio from your own two hands. Yeah, just make him able-bodied. No, I, well, I was going to say, if you don't like him, it's your fucking fault, toy maker. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's weird? Geppetto looks so much like my dad, it's scary. Oh, yeah, he does. He really does look like he was modeled after my dad. Geppetto's got some good moves, though. The, also... The, are you saying my dad can't dance? Not like that. <laughs> not like that. Uh... I was also going to say, he sounds like uh, Albert Einstein. Was Einstein a thing in 1940? How do you know what Albert Einstein sounded like? I, I don't know. Like, uh, there's all kinds of popular impressions of Einstein. Really? I don't think I've heard a single Einstein impression. <laughs> he sounds like a lispy German. I don't know. What do you want from me, Tony? So Albert Einstein is Werner Herzog? <laughs> I guess so. He's Werner Herzog. Did I say Werner? You did. Werner's original? <laughs> I guess, imagine that's what they called uh, Werner Herzog in film school because he kept making alternative documentaries. Hey, Werner, what are you going to do today? Go film some bears? <laughs> Werner. <laughs> 
what are you going to track some weird remote Austrian village for two weeks and wax poetic about the Northern Lights, you weirdo? <laughs> the, the, the thing about this movie that's so ableist is the fairy comes in and goes, all right, dude, I'll make you a real boy, uh, but you, you're going to be like in transition for a while as a real boy puppet. And so Pinocchio's like, this is cool. I can do pretty cool things. If I was a real boy, I wouldn't be able to like spin my knees around like this. Yeah. And so he gets a career doing that. The rest of the world doesn't really acknowledge that Pinocchio is a puppet. Honestly, this movie's plot, if you describe it back, it sounds like it was written by a high child. It does. It's like, okay, so there's... There's a, a a man and he makes a a puppet and then the puppet come and then a fairy and the fairy comes and makes him not not a puppet like a boy puppet that can walk and there's a a, a bug that's his his friend and the bug is like like a smart man who says good things and then he's going to school. One day, and there's a a, a, wolf. a fox, and a, a, a f- his friend who is uh, another animal, and they're talking to him, and they, and it's just like going, and and then they end up in a whale, and they're in a whale, <laughs> and and then the fairy comes, and every time he lies, his nose turns into a tree, and there's a fish too. I mean, that was a good synopsis. Should we end it there? Um, I agree with you. It is kind of like a, a strange acid trip. Yeah. Um, I was trying to like draw meaning out of it. Well. Human trafficking. So I guess the idea, the idea is that Pinocchio is not actually off his strings. Like when he is born into Geppetto's home, it's so warm and welcoming and they dance and sing and party together. When he goes to sleep, he's, he sleeps beside his father and their cat and the goldfish and everything is hunky-dory. And then Pinocchio leaves the house to go to school, which Geppetto tells him he has to go for reasons. Like Pinocchio literally asks why, and he's just like, that's what little boys do. Go to sleep. Go to school. Yeah. yeah, so he sends him off to school. And then while Pinocchio is on his way to school, he gets like solicited by these foxes. They're like... They see Pinocchio and they're like, that looks like a puppet, but it has no strings. And Pinocchio just came into consciousness, so he doesn't know that people are cruel and awful. And so these foxes are like, hey, hey, dude, come with us to this carnival and do a dance with us. You'll become famous. You're super remarkable. And he's like, all right, I'll come along. That sounds great. And so Pinocchio is on strings because he is bent to the will of anyone. Because he doesn't think for himself and he doesn't... Uh, He's not brave. He doesn't protect himself. So he gets he goes into this carnival and the carnival coordinator takes uh, control of him. He tries to lock him up in a cage and use him for profit. He tells him he can't leave. Pinocchio is basically this man's instrument. He's trafficked. Yes. And... At that point, there's like a deus ex machina and the fairy godmother comes along and unlocks uh, Pinocchio's cage and says, are you an honest boy? 
like what have you been up to and pinocchio can't admit that he um that he basically sold himself to this fucking carnival so his nose starts growing which also i remembered that the movie i i misremembered that the movie talked a lot more about his nose and lying and growing but it isn't just that one scene where the, the nose grows and then magically it's normal again and then that's it that's it that's the whole time that's the only time it's ever in the movie yeah that's like if you think of pinocchio you think of boy whose nose grows when he lies yeah well i think that whole thing is meant because if you're thinking about it from the perspective of a kid it's kind of telling the child that your parents can tell when you lie yeah. so it's like don't lie because it's obvious it's all over your face we'll know so you better be a fucking good boy. You know what I mean? The movie is also somewhat terrifying, not just for its visuals, but it does it did sort of evoke that feeling in me that I had as a small child whenever I was separated from my parents. Because it's kind of like the biggest fear in the world when you're like five and six years old. Like, you know, you're in the car and your parents go to get groceries and you're separated from them for 30 minutes. And after a while, you start to wonder if they'll ever come back. Oh, yeah. Do you do this thing where you're like... Okay, so if they don't come back, what are my plans? Yeah, I'm going to get out of the car and crawl over to the future shop yeah. and bang on the door and yell at my dad for leaving me there for an hour. Yeah. You're like, I guess I'll go live with my brother. Yeah, I used to think I'm locked in this hot car and it's the summer. I'm going to die here. Yeah. And then I would start freaking the fuck out. I'm a real dog. Yeah. So, like, the movie is playing into those fears from a child perspective. And that whole like being separated from Geppetto and not knowing the way home and being taken away by adults with nefarious intentions. Definitely remember not liking this movie as a kid for that reason or for those reasons. I don't remember that. I honestly remember it as like a very lighthearted movie. Hmm. Strange. Yeah. I mean, it's also been 80 years since I watched it. Mm -hmm. because it came out in 1940 and I saw it in cinemas. It wasn't nearly as much of a really movie as I thought it would be. The thing that really disturbed me, though, is that it it is for adults, I think. The foxes that recruit Pinocchio, like after he escapes the, um, the carnival man, who is quite evil and malintentioned like when he locks Pinocchio up he like laughs hysterically he's like you're never gonna get away from me like I'm gonna make all kinds of money with you he's very very cruel and they call it pleasure no no wait that's, oh you're talking about the other guy I'm talking about the other guy yeah so in the I guess like the third act of the film the foxes find Pinocchio again on his way to school and they basically recruit him for this trafficking ring they they tell him hey kid there's this island where you can go and you can behave badly and no one cares you can just party you can eat whatever food you want uh drink uh soda and smoke cigarettes which is funny because i guess young kids had exposure to cigarettes back in the day even like in the early years and uh so they so they the foxes are actually given a bunch of money to put Pinocchio on a boat and send him to this island, which is called Pleasure Island. And I takes him to Pleasure Island. Ah, uh, Pleasure Island. 
Pleasure Island? But the law. Suppose they... No, no. There's no risk. They never come back as boys. <laughs> Which is like, as a kid, you're like, well, what, like, do they transform them or do they mutate them? Do they harm them? Like, wh- what does that mean? They turn them into puppets? Like, and they... They come back, but they turn into into uh, darkies. Yeah, so it, I guess what it's saying is that, like, it's at least saying to the kids that if Pinocchio goes there, he's definitely not going to turn into a boy, <laughs> which is kind of weird. But um, the other thing is, like, calling it Pleasure Island and saying they won't come back as boys, that means, like, they're probably going to get abused at this place. God, it's straight up child trafficking yeah in some dastardly way and they're going to be so harmed by it that they're not going to come back with the innocence of a child and like that's really fucked up so the kids go to this island and it's like this trash heap of of vices there's like uh, cakes and beer and like a ferris wheel and it it reminded me of that scene in the ninja the ninja trails movie from the early 90s where they go to this underground garage to drink beer and like be recruited by a shredder. I don't know if that's in your mind at all, but I always think about that. Cause when I was a young kid, that was the definition of being bad <laughs> going to an arcade and playing like skateboarding and drinking alcohol. So I was like, Oh, I'm never going to be a bad kid. I'll always go to class. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so they take Pinocchio to pleasure Island. And the the hilarious thing is the, the contrast between the way that Pinocchio is animated versus the rest of the world. Like he has these oval eyes and this like bright, like rosy cheek smile. And he looks like a a baby. And it's so interesting seeing him in contrast, like in these like basic slums, like city slums, almost in the, in the midst of all these, um, of all these substances, like kids around him are, uh, are playing pool and they're they're like whacking sticks and they're causing fires and and eating all this gross food and someone offers Pinocchio a cigar and so he's like puffing on the cigar like playing pool with like some James Dean looking young child and it's so strange I do not remember any of this imagery at all from my childhood memories of the movie uh, but then it's like implied that the food that they're eating is actually drugged. And slowly but surely, all the kids at this big party start to turn into donkeys, uh, except for Pinocchio, because he's been sort of lightly abstaining from the food and beer. And also, I, I suppose it's implied that he's immune to the drug because he's not completely human. So his purity in that sense prevents him from being intoxicated by all this crap. He's also got a fairy looking out for him. <laughs> he does. Uh, but there's a, there's a scene like before the end of the terrifying saga on Pleasure Island where the kid that Pinocchio is playing pool with starts to morph slowly into a donkey. And he is terrified of this slow transformation. And he starts like pleading and yelping and his yelp turns into like an eeyaw. And it, it's like the fly all over again, but in child <laughs> form. Honestly, it's like So is that the disability in the movie? No, the that's where I sort of veer away from this actually being a disability movie and more about like the ugliness of the outside world and how 
so few people have a conscience. And if you want to be an actual human being, you have to have compassion and courage. Like you have to have the personality for it. Yeah. I think that is what the movie was trying to do. And it makes sense given when it came out. Well, because there are never any, there's only one problem that Pinocchio has to solve as a result of being a puppet, which is an instant where he accidentally catches fire in his dad's toy shop. And the solution is just to put his hand in some water. He's never really talked down to for being a puppet. And there's never a point where he can't do something because he's a puppet. In fact, it actually empowers him because uh, the last sort of set piece of the film is when Pinocchio randomly has to rescue Geppetto from a whale because he gets eaten by a whale while he's off on a body of water looking for Pinocchio, which like happens. You're a bad father. Yeah. Like why, why would you think the first place your kid would go would be the sea? Like that's really dumb. Maybe he thought that he, Pinocchio accidentally lit his finger on fire again. Right. He was looking for a body of water to put it out. In that scene though, Pinocchio basically like spends uh, many minutes on the ocean floor looking for Geppetto's whale. And it's implied that the only reason he's able to breathe underwater is because he actually doesn't have lungs. So he doesn't need to breathe. So he's empowered to look for his dad. I don't know. That whole, I started to stop caring about the movie at that point. There's a strange like resignation in Geppetto while he's in the stomach of the whale that he'll never see Pinocchio again. And he's about to starve to death. And this has to be some, some strange, like in the heat of world war two, like deep depression about the realities of life, because it doesn't seem like at all the disposition of a main character in a fucking Disney movie. Good Lord. Yeah. Well, it was also written after a book that was also written by, some Italian man. So the original story, I don't think. <laughs> what? Yeah. Pinocchio is a, a, an adaptation of a story. Okay, okay. By a, by an Italian? Yeah. Pinocchio. Pinocchio. Gepardo. Pinocchio does sound like the Italian word for penis. Sorry. Pinocchio. It means when you lie, your dick gets big. <laughs> Put your Pinocchio away. Nobody... Nobody wants to see I that. I don't want to see a Pinocchio. You have to ask consent. Don't send me another pin pick. <laughs> what um, is this, a Pinocchio party? Jesus Christ. I don't want to brag, but I've been teaching myself Italian. Why? As an Italian. And Pinocchio, I'm pretty sure, is a combination of pine and orchio, which is eyes. Like pine eyes. Oh, that is very insightful. I thought you were going to say it's Italian for sex trafficking. <laughs> it means a whale's vagina. <laughs> oh. So did you regret watching this movie, Tony? I got very bored. Is boredom and regret synonymous? Well, I definitely was disappointed. I, I, I generally like having a break from the usual pace. By watching a Disney movie. Oh. And it didn't give me that relief yeah. that I was hoping it would. It was worse than a lot of other movies we could have watched or have watched. It was very, very well made. Yeah, I also wanted to say that yeah. it's beautiful, especially for 1940. The animation 
it blows my mind that we, we being, I had nothing to do with it, but we being humankind was able to pull this off at that time. There were a few scenes, one of them you pointed out where you can tell it was like a first pass because they were off in the distance and so whatever, just animate them poorly. And if we'll get around to it, we'll fix it. There was a strange, surreal moment where they showed the carriage that was bringing the children to Pleasure Island in a wide shot. And I guess it was a result of the upscale to HD because the wide shot didn't animate the kids and only like animated their their flesh silhouette with like their eyes. And it was kind of terrifying, which was in keeping with the whole like segment to follow. But um it was weird. I think that was literally just because it wasn't meant to be viewed in 1080p. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't regret watching this either. I was like again impressed by it. And I I think if you're a parent, you should watch it for a glimpse into what people thought a children's film was in the 1940s. But do you think it was a kid's film? It definitely had all the trappings of a children's film and it Yes, did, and it's a Disney movie. It did very much understand what a child finds terrifying. Like, again, that separation anxiety between Geppetto and Pinocchio. If you were a kid, that would be palpable. Yeah. Also, the whale was terrifying. The ending was surreal, but scary, and it felt very disconnected. Well, yeah, because it was several disparate sort of problems that Pinocchio ended up facing. And uh, yeah, and also just sort of the movie lazily allowed the the fairy godmother to step in when it didn't have logical connective tissue between ideas. So maybe it was just uh, limited resources and they had storyboarded certain events before actually writing the dialogue or whatever. Yeah, I'd be interested to see what the original story was and how much this strayed or didn't stray from that because, yeah, I'm not sure what some of these points meant. So unless it was just some random Italian dude wrote it in a book and peop- and Dis- Disney was like, let's try it. I'm still struck by how innocent Pinocchio was. Like, just like kind of aloof. The, his voice is very similar to Ralph Wiggum. And it never, it doesn't change or evolve or grow despite him being exposed to all these ugly aspects of human nature and all this really, really poor behavior. Well, it, I feel like the timeline of this movie was a few days. Well, I know, <laughs> I, I know, but I'm just saying like the commitment to that idea of the contrast between Pinocchio and the ugly world is it was sort of refreshing. Somehow the movie decided, or the, the fairy godmother decided, that Pinocchio proved himself worthy and brave. Yeah. And ended up giving him... A real boy's body. Do you think if we go to Marineland and ask to be inserted into a uh, a killer whale, and we like like rescue a person from inside of the killer whale, that we will be uh, absolved of our disability? Yeah, I think that's how it works. Maybe we could just w- work with dolphins or something. Yeah, like if we become marine biologists. Yeah. The dolphins will grant us legs. Right, right. Imagine getting stuck inside of a whale. 
I just got stuck on that for a second. <laughs> it seems reasonable because whales are can be ginormous. <laughs> and can you imagine? <laughs> Has anyone out there listening to this ever been swallowed by a whale? I'd like to interview them. I, Leonardo DiCaprio got swallowed by a, were, a whale in that movie. No, I mean in real life, Jamie. But remember Alejandro Inuatu? What was that movie called? The Revenant? Yeah, he gets like mauled by a bear and swallowed by a whale. And Did he? I don't remember that movie very well. Yeah, he gets assaulted by a dolphin. Okay. It's a, it's a strange film. I yeah. don't know if I recommend. Yeah, I'd love to talk to anyone who's been swallowed by a whale. <laughs> That's all I've really taken from this movie. Yeah, whether or not it has restorative properties. This is how the movie ends. I'm real. I'm a real boy. You're alive. And, and you are a real boy. Yay! A real life boy. <laughs> this calls for a celebration. See, I like, mean... the, he sounds like Albert Einstein without an upper denture. Come on, Tony. I would be that ecstatic if I... Woke up tomorrow morning and realized I was able to get myself out of bed. Yeah. And I would hope that you would react as Geppetto did. You are a real boy. This calls for a celebration. And then we dance around your apartment. <laughs> and all the cuckoo clocks go off. That's a fantasy of mine. Yeah. Uh-huh. I don't know, man. A wheelbreakers in which I had to live in a 1940s toy store. I don't know if I could do it. It's very creepy. Let's find out. Wheel breakers. So, Jamie, I just thought of one for you. Sure. I'm going to grant you the ability to be able to bump it. Yep, I'll be a real boy, but... But you have to live in Geppetto's workshop. <laughs> and I have to fall asleep beside him and his cat every night. And his fish. And his, his fish. Okay, any other catches? Well, you're right. I haven't given you a catch yet. <laughs> yeah. So far, this is just the ideal situation. Um, every month, the fairy comes. Yeah. But she can only take something away from you. So it's always a negative thing that you have to wish for. You can get really? clever with things that she'll take away from you. You can be like, I want to be a real boy without hair. And then the next day you'll be alopecia. Yeah, couldn't I just scam it and be like, I want to be a real boy, but you can take my right molar. And then just... I yeah, but have... after 26 months, you're toothless. Yeah, but I mean, dentures are like high tech nowadays. Yeah, but you're living in Geppetto's workshop. You're getting <laughs> wooden dentures, but... Oh, no, it's true. Jeez, well, then I would eventually just be be disabled by process of fairy godmother wishes. Yeah, but you get to be able-bodied for some time. But then I got to live with Geppetto, and the only parties I have are like an old man uh, ballyhooing over a fucking violin. You know Geppetto parties. <laughs> What's that song? Parapala Americana. We know speak Americano. Yeah, I feel like that would be Hipster Geppetto's favorite song. Purple <laughs> Americano. Geppetto. <laughs> it's like a Geppetto remix. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, everybody here, real boy. Papa Italiano. That's <laughs> 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 so dumb. Why is it making you laugh so hard? <laughs> uh, uh, okay. So you're saying that Geppetto's fun? Sure, man. Okay. That's an easy conclusion to draw. <laughs> Anyone who... That guy never sleeps. Every hour, his entire house turns into a gong show. Would you take the deal? Sure. Really? Yes. You seemed really against it at first. Well, I don't know. We've decided that Geppetto's fun, so whatever. Okay. Um, I have a wheel breakers for you. Ready? Okay. Okay. You get to be a real boy, but every time you lie, lie to your significant other, your nose grows. And it and it doesn't ever go back to its original size. It's funny because I my original wheel breaker for you was very similar. Yeah. I was going to say, like, you get a boner, but I feel like that's immature. Because then every time you guys go to be intimate, she's going to be like, are you horny or lying? <laughs> I'm a strong believer in you should be laughing in the bedroom. But let's play it out. That might be your problem, Tony. Really? You think that's when humor stops? <laughs> well, I mean, at least for six, five or six minutes. Really? Well, you can't laugh the whole time. I mean, not like, <laughs> that feels good. <laughs> but like, yeah, you got to throw jokes in there. What? Yeah, dude. You During the... intercourse? What the hell's wrong with you? You got to keep the mood light. <laughs> what is it going to get? It's going to get somber if you don't? Come on now. Not somber, but you're having a good time. Why can't you laugh? <laughs> All right, I whatever. can't joke around. Anyway, um, okay, so what's the scenario? Every time I lie to my significant other... Your nose grows. My, how much does it grow? Like uh, uh, an eighth of an inch. Eighth of an inch per lie. Yeah. But just to my significant other. Yeah. And it has to be... A conscious lie, right? Yeah, you have to know you're lying. That's yeah, like... yeah. Yeah, I think I could handle that. I don't lie very often, especially to significant others. Usually when I lie, it's to just try to make someone like that I don't care about not get anxious. Like a lie. <laughs> like, if some, like if an attendant breaks a plate and they're like, oh no, how much did that plate cost? I'm like, oh, it was like a dollar. Meanwhile, you have this like uh, $5,000 plate set that you, for yeah, some reason, like calling the credit card company, like, <laughs> we're going to need a new card. And they're like, oh, you lost another plate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's usually stuff like that. Like, like people, attendants will be like, am I the slowest? They're like, no, no. Oh, that's slow. so funny. That's the attendant version of, does this make me look fat? Yeah. Wow, that's so funny. And I'll be like, no, you look great. <laughs> but really, I'm like... <laughs> Hurry up. Yeah. Yeah, my lentil soup is waiting. Okay, so you're a yes on the big nose? Yeah, I'll take it, because I don't think my nose would grow. Maybe it would grow a tiny bit. But as I said, I have a pretty day, so I can use a couple more... Uh, more inches? More eight inches. Yeah, it could be bigger, eh? Yeah, I mean, like, I don't want to self-deprecate. I, I think I use my nose just fine. <laughs> but I wouldn't, I wouldn't complain if it was a bit better. 
It'd be funny if the curse of the big nose wasn't the size, but rather the increase in your olfactory acuity or something. It would be funny if, like, I realized part, like, maybe I get a new mask and it doesn't fit quite right. And I'm like, if only my nose is a bit bigger. So I purposely lie (laughs) to make it fit. And just be like, hear me out. I don't like you. I'm like, oh, yeah, that fits way better. (laughs) <laughs> that's so tough <laughs> but i love it all right all right so i got one for you i, I gave you i just gave you one but i want to give you my original okay go for it don't sound like that <laughs> uh very similar mine was gonna be every time you laugh uh-huh your nose gets bigger oh no that's a no Okay, what if I gave you a way to make it smaller again? It Like, every time you laugh, it gets bigger. But every time you say a hurtful but honest truth to someone, it gets smaller. Couldn't it be something more terrifying? Like, you have to openly fart in a public space very loudly? You would, you would, you'd get used to that. <laughs> okay, well... So sorry, I have to tell somebody a painful truth? Yeah. I have a tendency to do that accidentally all the time. So, yeah, okay, fine. Yeah? What what if I had said, you have to fart in a public place? (laughs) You would do it? I would be, I I would definitely hesitate, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's funnier that you're, like, more willing to be rude personally than rude (laughs) anonymously. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Because I feel like, you know, a little bit of personal uh, frankness is like a currency that you get as a product of... But it won't be a little bit because you're going to be laughing a lot. So basically, to keep your nose status quo, you have to tell someone a hard truth Every time you laugh. How hard is it? Like, oh, it. You, I mean, it's just your your mother doesn't love you? Like, what? No, it would be like, no, but you'd have to say you don't love your son. It wouldn't be your mother doesn't love you. Oh, oh God. Couldn't it be something superficial? Like, you have uh, skinny legs? Maybe. But again, you're going to be doing it so often. So like, you're like, you have skinny legs, your teeth aren't straight. I don't like your one droopy eyelid. Your hair isn't great. I wish yeah. you smelled better. Like yeah. you'd, be, you'd be laying it on. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe you could just get I a still, punching I, bag friend who no. you could just like keep in your circle but just dump on them every time. But there's a certain like... It's, it's sometimes I'm sorry, I have to admit, it's fun to tell people hard truths. If you're tactful. Like not, not, sorry, not fun, but it's like, yeah. it's definitely not like, I look forward to those conversations sometimes because I look forward to being honest with people. Yeah, I do. I feel closer to someone after I'm able to get through a moment where I can tell them something that I'm afraid might hurt them, but at yeah. least I'm being honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't hurtful when I said you had sex hair, right? No. Okay, good. All right, so should we end it there? (laughs) (laughs) You're all puppets. Tangled in strings. Strings.
I knew that you wanted to play that clip. I did very badly because do you know why? Just because I love James Spader's voice. Yeah, of course. And also I wanted to say that the actual Pinocchio movie is darker than all the faux darkness of that clip. Do you think we're going to cover Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio when it comes out? Sure. It comes out in December, right? Should we cover Iron Man? We should probably cover Iron Man. Iron Man's on our list, yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, that was a little preview of our Iron Man coverage. We will be covering Iron Man. Get ready for it. Yeah. Bye, fuckers. I mean, uh, listeners. Bye, lovers. I mean, friends. 